0: There are a lot of people that lean on their laurels. Of, I was a rock star at XYZ company. I went to President's Club 12 times. That's great for the company that you worked at, but that's not where you are now. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence.
1: Salaries are the single biggest cost item when building a sales department. So, how can revenue leaders maximize the return on investment? Our guest in this week's episode is a legend of the noble profession that is sales enablement, and he shares his keys to effective talent development please welcome the best-selling author of Sales Enablement 3.0, Roderick Jefferson. Roderick, welcome back to the State of Sales Enablement.
0: Felix, thanks for having me back. I am always excited to come back and have a chance to chat
1: with you. Lots been happening since we last spoke. I think when we last spoke on this podcast, you had just launched your book. How did it all go? How was the book launch?
0: Incredibly well. My book is Sales Enablement 3.0. It has taken off beyond even my wildest dreams. I think it's moved about thirty five hundred plus copies now since we talked. It's in hard copy, soft copy, ebook, audio book the whole night. Now I'll warn you about the audio book. The guy that's actually doing the read, I'm not too sure about him, but the rest of it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: Well, I, I can vouch for that because I actually treated myself recently to the audiobook version after I already had the Kindle version. So Fantastic. Thanks for the support. And not a lot of people know that about you, but you actually used to be a voiceover guy. I did, yes. (laughs) So you're right in your element, like a fish in the water.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's been a while, but I used to uh, be a voiceover artist. I actually had a studio in the studio here in my home is where I recorded my book.
1: Awesome, awesome. Hey, so for those few people that aren't familiar with your name in the Southern Aben sphere, and have been living under a rock, evidently. <laughs> Who's Roderick Jefferson? <laughs> What's your background and what do you do now?
0: I'm a sales guy. First and foremost, I am not a trainer by trade. I stepped into a trainer slash enablement role later in my life. I was a BDR, I was an AE, got promoted to sales leader, and actually turned it down because I realized I love the process of selling more than I did actually taking down big deals. And I've been very, very fortunate and blessed to have a pretty decent line of companies that I've worked with along the way. I have run enablement at Siebel Systems, NetApp, eBay, HP, Oracle, Marketo. And most recently I was at Netscope and now I'm over at a company called Pro Unlimited. So it's been a decent run. I think a couple of those, the stock might take off one day. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's right. Those little known startups.
0: Don't think they're going to do okay. They might catch on. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I see the potential there. The topic that I particularly want to talk to you about, because it's so relevant and, you know, a lot of people consider this to be sales enablement, even though the scope of sales enablement has obviously increased over time. But the talent development side of things is always a very hot topic because there's still no selling without talent indeed we don't have apis talking to each other making purchase decisions so it's important to if you're a business leader to really protect that investment if you consider the amount of money that is being invested in sales teams it is really important to actually protect that investment and to get the most out of those hires how can from your point of view businesses be strategic about developing talent to protect that investment
0: I think there's a couple of things that come into play. And first and foremost, it's about understanding where a company is in their maturation cycle. Because we all understand the acronym of ICP, of ideal customer or client profile, because there's not enough out there. Let me throw another one in there, IEP, ideal employee profile. And that shifts as a company is growing, right? So as you maybe in the startup phase, you're bringing in your first, maybe individual contributor to run enablement you may grow into actually having a director or some of that sort right so now you're looking at how do i get these people up and running what can i take off of the sales leaders and actually move into consistent scalable automated and rigor around sales process methodology sales motions etc but what kind of person do we need are we a small startup are we a mid-sized company that's actually growing are we in hyper phase Or are we moving towards that mid-market to enterprise level? So it's a different kind of seller and a different profile required for each of those. That's one. The second is make sure that whoever you have place running enablement is part of the interview, the talent assessment and acquisition process. And here's why. One, it's generally someone, if you've done it right, it's someone that comes with a sales background that's carried a bag. So they're speaking the same language, right? Two, they're going to look at things far beyond just, can this individual hit quota? Will they hit their numbers? There's a plethora of things around it that come into program and process, and will they be able to do things consistently? Will they be a cultural fit here? And then the most important is, because we deal with sales leaders and sales folks all the time, in enablement, our BS filter is a lot higher than even theirs. It's because we got to deal with them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right. Yeah. I mean, do you think in the very beginning, like of a journey of a startup, when the first sales hires being made, those kind of, I would consider them non-technical skills. So things like adaptability, willingness to learn, resourcefulness. Is that something that's more important initially than down the track when there's more process coming into play?
0: Actually, I would say it starts down at that level, but it should never change if you do it correctly, right? Because... Adaptability and flexibility, et cetera. Think about this. You're bringing someone in because they have a proven skill set, or at least they interviewed well. I'll say that sometimes. <laughs> they have a proven skill set that you think can actually enhance your company. Here's the key How do you make sure that you're talking to them about from day one how to be successful here? There are a lot of people that lean on their laurels of I was a rock star at XYZ company. I went to President's Club three times, 12 times. That's great for the company that you worked at, but that's not where you are now. So it's about adjusting that mindset and making sure that you are setting clear goals and objectives beyond just what does it mean to hit your number, right? An example is culture. Will this person be someone that's going to add to or disrupt your company's culture as you're growing, especially when you're a startup, right? I've seen too many times where they bring a person in and they're a rock star. There's no doubt. They've been to a couple of rodeos and picnics and they've done what they need to do. But they come in and you find out that they don't do things the right way. They're not a team player. They're not sharing. Or they're expecting to have even a poor attitude and have that overlooked just because you're a rock star and you're hitting numbers. Nah, it set that tone right up front. And as the company grows, guess what? The culture will then adjust and adapt as you grow. Because I believe that culture... As i define it is what happens when no one is watching so the numbers are equally as important if not more important than the cultural piece
1: and you mentioned that at the very least some people might interview well how can you actually see through that how can you see beyond that pure interview skill and actually see whether somebody's a cultural fit because i guess it's easy for somebody to interview well It might be doable for somebody to hold up a facade like during their probation period, but it's almost impossible throughout the course of, let's say, one year for somebody to completely change their ways and change who they are in front of their peers. How can you actually make sure that you really identify those things early on?
0: I think it actually starts in the interview process.
1: Mm.
0: When I'm listening to a salesperson, I listen for a couple of things. How many times do I say, I, 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 me, 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 versus we, versus team? How many times do they actually give credit to other parts of the organization? I was ultra successful because we had the right messaging from product marketing. We worked with product management. They got us what we needed. I worked with the HR people when we had problems. I worked with both the leaders as well as, and here's a critical piece, how much do they actually give credit to learning from their peers versus just from their leadership? And these are people now that you want on the team because these are the kind of people, that they can groom others, they can help others be better, and they revel in making sure that as a team, everyone is successful, not just themselves.
1: Okay, okay. But I guess at some stage, there might come a point where the fact that leaders are listening for those kind of things becomes common knowledge, and then it's, that then becomes easier for people to adopt again.
0: Yeah, I will disagree just to an extent. Anyone can go in with the right answers if you know the questions. I agree with you. Yeah, But here's where, as a true seasoned professional, you start peeling that onion. So when you say, all right, you and your team did, give me the details. Tell me, what does that really mean? They can only go so far if it was just them. And at some point, if they are the old school, especially, mentality of ego seller, I call it, They're going to refer back to because they can't help themselves, but to get away from we (laughs) and get back to me. (laughs) Right. So they're only going to be able to hold that facade up for so long before you kind of go, ah, okay. (laughs) So we have hit the point where you've run out of all of the weave statements and everything was, well, I did this and I closed the largest deal in the history of the company and I closed out and helped made sure that I was at 190% of quota. You kind of go, hmm, note to self. (laughs) <laughs> the true colors have actually
1: shown itself. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They just have to get it out of their system.
0: They can't help themselves. It, eventually, it's going to come out because they're fighting internally. And you got the old adage of you got the angel and I've got the devil on one shoulder, and at some point, one's going to get really heavy and start tilting towards that direction. So, you know, it'll come out eventually.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you also mentioned. As part of the ideal employee profile, it is obviously important to match that to what the company really needs, you know, and Mm -hmm. typically that would be related to the go-to-market strategy and the sort of capabilities and skills that you need to effectively execute on that go-to-market strategy together, as you said, with the cultural element, of course. But how would you actually go about relating the go-to-market strategy back to the skills and capabilities that are needed from new hires?
0: I always ask a couple of consistent questions to, to new hires. And that is one, what's enablement mean to you? Because it means something different everywhere. The second is, what do you feel like you need as a seller to be successful? Programs, processes, tools, etc. And where have you been in a place where you didn't get this needed assets, we'll call it, and where did you go to find this information or this content or these assets? That tells a lot, right? One, it tells how they are in a line to what the programs that are in place, but also how independent they're going to be versus the seller that goes, you know what? I just started creating. I created my own stuff because we didn't have an organization. Now, the other piece is working directly with the first and second line manager. As we both know, what's important to them is imperative to their team. I can give them, I believe, the best onboarding, and I'll just call it enablement program on the planet. But if the leaders don't own the adoption, the execution, and most importantly, the positive modeling of this, it dies on the vine. And then if we don't have true metrics that wrap around it, not talking about smiley sheets and butts and seats here, right? but if you really are focused on accelerating speed to revenue, increasing productivity per head, increasing deal flow, and advancement, and then finally putting together that front and back end of the house together so that you're building a big, beautiful house, but not a short hallway where folks are retreating out of the back door, now you're starting to put together a formula along with the sales leaders that they now have accountability and they've got skin in the game. But most importantly, it's about going back to those individual contributors and from a survey perspective, roll something out, come back and say, how did this work for you? what worked well, what didn't, and then follow up with them and let them know, because you had that voice, I've now turned it into a vote, and we have made some changes based upon your feedback. There's nothing like telling salespeople, we heard you, but more importantly, we weren't just focused on traction, we were focused on action of what you told us, and we've actually put that into practical application now. Now you've completely closed loop on that front end, the middle, and the back end of things.
1: And in terms of the skills assessment, which is obviously important throughout the interview process, but then also down the line, once you formulate a talent development program with training and coaching, what is your, from your experience, the most effective way to actually structure a skills assessment on an individual level?
0: I think there's a couple of ways. When I'm talking about sellers, one, it's make sure that everything that we put out has Knowledge checks and some kind of quiz, because that then tells me that they kind of quote unquote got it. The next level is accreditations, those are stand and deliver pieces around messaging, positioning. It may be competitive, it could be new product releases. Now, this forces the individual to message and position back to their leader and record that with a standardized scorecard and all the things that we do at Enablement. But now, You've got the folks that test well on the quizzes. You also put the component around the stand and deliver. Then the third component is it gives the leader an opportunity to come back and do some coaching around the pieces that were, I'll call it soft spots, that they now have, again, accountability and some skin in the game. Then let's go a bit deeper with folks like the CSMs, the technical SEs, as well as your partners, now you've got true certifications where It's practical, hands-on application where you actually have to twist some knobs to show that you can do it, not just messaging, but actually having to do it yourself and continue, rinse and repeat that on an ongoing basis. Now you're hitting the soft skills, you're hitting the hard skills, you're hitting the practical application, and you're also putting in the messaging and positioning, standing
1: and deliver. Mm -hmm. The quiz part, obviously straightforward, but from a practical application part, is that actually out in the field, would you say, or is it best done in a simulated environment, let's say, to deliver a demo?
0: Great question. Always practice first in-house. We are far more forgiving of having you fall and slip in, in-house in than out in front of customers. But we have to make it as real life as possible. So if you're doing a demo, it has to be a true demo. If you're doing a whiteboard, it has to be a true demo whiteboard you don't get a chance to have your leaders break out of character and go oh but you should have added this piece in or they gave you a softball this has to be a true realistic situation to give them that true feel and then once they do bumble or stumble a bit when it's over and you're now giving them their coaching and their feedback that is the time to say hey you know what i made a note on this piece of the first call pitch that's not exactly what we mean when we say that piece or I gave you a softball as the customer, and you just kind of didn't even swing at it. You just kind of looked at it and kept walking. So keep these things real life. And I don't mean just case studies, but truly real life. And another thing I've realized over the years that works best, work with your competitive group in-house or product marketing. Find out the last big loss that we have. Use that as your use case and as your scenario because it's a real life happening, breathing entity, and then have your people utilize that as your stand and deliver or as your demo and figure out what they would have done differently than the individual or the team that actually lost that account.
1: Mm, that's really interesting. So that win loss analysis can also be part retrospectively of the skills assessment.
0: 100%, it absolutely should be.
1: Do you see a lot of businesses actually regularly conducting win-loss analysis because I see a very broad spectrum of that. Very few are actually doing it on a regular basis. They say each month we do X amount. The majority that actually have it on their radar do it kind of sporadically. Sometimes they do it more times than others. And then there's a whole big segment in the market that don't do it at all. What do you see?
0: I think it spans the entire spectrum. But I've figured out over the years, a way to make that more consistent. And that is, once a month, go and sit in on the sales meetings, on the staff meeting, and in that, always make sure that you prep with the first or second line manager ahead of time, and let them know, I really like to make sure we're including kind of a a win-loss analysis in this meeting, because That'll help enablement. And I can take that back and actually utilize this going forward. I give them the why. I give them the what. Then I also give them what's in them for me. Because if they're doing it and I'm there able to note and take that back to my team, guess what? We can now spread that wider and deeper across the organization. And you may learn from another team differently than what happened with you and now not fall in that same hole that you would have fallen into had you not had that win-loss analysis from a different, even segment of the business.
1: Do you often also engage clients on that front to actually interview them and ask them what happened on their end?
0: I'm a sales guy, first and foremost. I did it a lot more earlier in my career, and I'm now back at a point where I want to get back to it because there's some value in meeting with clients. One, it shows that the enablement person is engaged and always looking to make whoever is their salesperson or their CSM better. The other thing is it gives me an opportunity to go back to and be kind of the um, translators of dialects and languages, if you will, with the rest of the organization. I go out and talk to customers, come back and talk to product marketing and say, you know what? I've watched the first call pitch given five different ways, four different times. Clearly it's going well, but maybe in like slide five, it's a little fuzzy. So maybe we should put an accreditation around this piece or smooth it out or remove it because it's actually creating confusion. I can now go back to product management and say, you know what, I've heard five different prospects and customers ask for this particular need or show that there's pain around. How can we move that up on the release cycle? I can now go back to the sales leaders and to HR and say, as we talked about earlier, you know, I have been sitting on calls and I've been going out with customers and our IEP is definitely off. We need to really re-look at how things are being shared right now, and we may need to hire a completely different type of seller because the company has hit a different level of maturation. So I think what it turns out to be is a mutually equitable win across the board.
1: No, absolutely. I think if you consider sales to be the function of helping buyers make the best decision for their business as quickly as possible, I think doing that on a regular basis and actually talking to customers can only be a win for the organization. Well,
0: it's a big win. And then for enablement, here's the win for us. We go back and we can build out accreditations, we can build out workshops, et cetera, based on where we're hearing the weak spots and we're getting it firsthand.
1: So we spoke about the skills assessment side of things, but I mean, there's a whole lot of other levers that you can pull to nurture sales talent. You know, you've got onboarding programs, you've got custom training, you've got third-party training content that you might source. You've got the coaching program. There's so many different levers that you can activate from a sales leadership and sales enablement perspective. But how do you decide where to focus?
0: Well, actually I let the business tell me because as soon as enablement starts to try and put things out like that, we're giving our internal customers what we think they need, as opposed to really hearing from them. We put out a, a biannual survey to both the leaders and to the sellers, of what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, where would you like more? We always make sure that there are surveys in every one of our workshops, as well as all of our onboarding activities. So we're constantly listening and and kind of keeping our ear to the ground, if you will, of what's happening. And then also, as I said, sitting on those calls and those visits and such, you kind of get a feel from what's not working. And I always think that there's a few buckets that fall into where to go, and the business will tell me. Here are these buckets. It's either on the front end around the talent acquisition and acquisition, or it's making sure that we have a deeper and wider role-specific onboarding program. The next is making sure that we are constantly sharpening the sword for our leaders, as well as our sellers around business acumen, and that we don't just stop at onboarding, because I've seen that too many times. The next is making sure that we've got some kind of coaching and reinforcement, whether it's a leadership academy or not, but something that's really focused on leaders from two angles. One, the net new just got promoted leader, as well as we'll call it that old seasoned dog that needs to learn some new tricks. Then always make sure that you tie metrics and measurements around this and that you're constantly communicating that back out so that they're very clear on what you're looking for, what they've asked you to cover and what you did find. And then finally, and most importantly, make sure that there's a program around succession plan. Nothing worse than someone being promoted and not being prepared for that next level and walking into it completely unprepared.
1: That's right. Plus, you've got the previous patch being abandoned. Ah, yes. And the lack of leadership experience can then also lead to the team members not being as motivated or being frustrated and so on. Absolutely.
0: But here's another part, though. If you're doing it correctly and you're working along with HR and learning and development, Enablement can actually become a recruiting tool. Think about this. If I'm talking to a newbie and I'm telling them how we're going to prepare you coming on, how we're going to support them, how we're going to continually sharpen the sword for you, how as you grow, we're already prepared for programs of leadership. If I'm a salesperson, I'm looking and going, man, that may be the first time in my career I've ever heard that. And that may be the difference between do I go to company A or Company B?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, if you make it employee centric and translate it into their words is do they set me up for success or don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of money you need to throw around to actually compensate for that not being the case.
0: Yeah it costs a lot to onboard someone. So if you're gonna do it, let's do it right into your point. Let's make it more about the employee and the experience of coming aboard. And then have that as the floor, not the ceiling. And what I mean is, start that journey here and carry that experience throughout their entire time with the company.
1: So when it comes to talent development, there's obviously, depending on the size of the organization, really that need to standardize it to a certain degree, because you can't really personalize it for everybody. But then Mm -hmm. you probably have more room for that personalization in smaller organizations. Certainly. If you are, as a sales enablement leader or even a sales leader for the first time, actually creating a strategic plan around talent development, how do you really strike that balance between accommodating for each individual and really making that a personalized effort versus creating something that's somewhat scalable across the organization?
0: Again, it all starts with working with your first and second line managers and making sure that you're on the same page with them. But I don't get it down to the individual person. What I prefer to do is look at this as kind of a guided learning path, if you will, for role specific. I think on the front end, it should be about 80% consistent, even globally, 80% consistent, irrespective of what your role is. Everyone should learn a baseline. What's the company do? Who are we? What are our values? Those kind of things, right? And then there's another 15, 20% wiggle room of how things are done culturally, as well as geographically, globally. From there, then it starts to break off into role-specific acumen. Because as we both know, what's too technical for one is not technical enough for another, what's too deep for one is not deep enough for another. So you talk to the the BDRs at a scratch surface level. You talk to the AEs at a foot wide and probably a foot deep, you work with your sales engineers at a deep, deep technical level, then you look at your CSMs at a very deep technical, deep and wide scenario. So rather than going, okay, how do I get this individual? Unless of course, and I'll give an asterisk, unless this is for an acquisition and they're coming in the same space, then I think that requires a completely different approach for your acquisitions than you do from someone coming both inside of the sphere of your given industry versus someone that's coming from outside of the industry how do you separate those two it's simple go back to those quizzes if they can test out of a course and they can pass it at say 80 percent, i don't want you wasting your time doing that pass the course move on to the next piece
1: Roderick, we're running <laughs> out of time i could go on for ages with you <laughs> we could do this all day i love doing this with you thank you so much we might have to uh, schedule another session on the track but Yeah, again, thank you so much for joining today. And if people want to learn more about you and want to uh, read your book and follow you online, where can they do that? I always say, if you can't find
0: me on social media, you're not really trying. And here's why. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at The Voice of Rod, as well as Facebook. You can find me on Insta at Roderick underscore J underscore associates. You can also find my book on Amazon and anywhere else where you find books and audiobooks. It's out there again. Sales Enablement 3.0, the blueprint to sales enablement excellence, is what the book is called.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Broderick.
0: Thank you. And I really appreciate it. And again, anytime you want to get together with you, I'll make some time. Next time on the State of Sales Enablement.
1: Hi, this is Felix Kruger
0: and Devin McDermott.
1: Sales enablement is one of the fastest growing business trends globally and it's hard to keep up with all the information that's out there.
0: That's why Felix and I have teamed up to curate the latest industry news, expert insights, research reports and social media buzz for you.
1: If you want to be in the know and operate on the cutting edge of sales enablement, this month and sales enablement has you covered.
0: Visit thestateofsalesenablement.com to register for the live stream or subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement on all major podcast platforms.